0: Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Good morning, Living Hope. Good to see everybody here. Wow, looks like first service was a cool kids this morning. So (laughs) just teasing. Normally you guys like blow attendance wise out of the water and I'm just saying, that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to say anything, but that's all I'm saying. It's good to see you all here. Uh, Really excited. Uh, We're starting a new series this morning. Before we do that, I want to just say something real fast. Um, and she didn't know I was going to do this, but uh, uh, Natalia is leaving us uh, tomorrow. Right? Is that right? Tomorrow? Um, she is headed back to Argentina. She's been visiting us for what about six weeks now, something like that. And um, was a friend of the Impact Group, and has come and just dove into our youth group and has done a lot of teaching and things like that in the youth group. And we really, really appreciate everything you've done for us while you've been here. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. So come back come back and see us soon, and uh, that'll be good. So, um, all right, I lost my page in my fake Bible. So, okay. Um, So we are starting a new series this morning, uh, and we're calling it uh, Miracle on Your Street. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, why Christmas is such a big deal, why it was so why it's such a big deal that Jesus came, uh, that he came the way he came, that uh, he was who he was, what that means to us, and taking it kind of down out of the theological cloud and instead putting it to, uh, you know, uh, some knowledge of of what that means to you, where you are here in Dixon, USA, or Vacaville, USA, or Winters, USA, or or, uh, Argentina, Earth, or wherever you're from. Um, but wherever you're, you know, what that means to you, where you are, that Jesus came the way he did and who he was and all that kind of stuff, because it really is truly a miracle. I mean, we two over 2000 years ago, we, you know, Jesus came on the scene, uh, God in the flesh, uh, God in the flesh, uh, Emmanuel, as, as that word means God with us. We sang about a song just a second ago, God in the flesh came and spent time with us here on earth. Uh, there was a period of time when God couldn't change his own diapers. Soak on that for a little bit, okay? That God, completely helpless in human flesh, was dependent on uh, a a teenage mom to change his diapers. And um, this is one of the things I love most about Jesus, about who he was and it's this idea that um, he was a guy, Jesus was a dude, um, yeah he he was God in the flesh, but in the flesh, that he was one of us and all this this next four weeks is going to be tying back to a verse uh, that's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah nine verse six says for this uh, and you've all heard this usually sung and Very high uh, operatic voices uh, when it handles Messiah. But for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, four different things, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we're going to spend some time looking at those, those different things, uh, you know, as why it is that Jesus is called those things, why he fits that bill. And this week we're starting with that concept of Jesus being our wonderful counselor, that he is a counselor that we can depend on, that we can rely on. But, but it all ties back into his humanity, that Jesus was, yes, God uh, come down from heaven to be our perfect sacrifice, but he was a dude. He was a guy. He was a, a human being like like the rest of us. Um, he just did it better than us. He just did it perfectly. But he had all this same... Uh, when you read... this First of all, I grew up in the 70s where... Um, any any shout-outs for the 70s? Nobody? So... Oh, really? Everybody hates the 70s. All right. So um, anyway, um, I don't know. You know, we were rocking those bell-bottoms and that was all good. So anyway, grew up in the 70s and... I just remember about once or twice a year, network TV uh, would show this movie called Jesus of Nazareth. Anybody remember Jesus of Nazareth or the Jesus film or one of those, you know, um, kind of Hollywood images of Jesus, they would show that, you know, once or twice a year, and we would always, as a family, kind of gather around and watch that, and if you've never seen the Jesus of Nazareth movie, I I guess for its time it was good. It was, um, however, Jesus kind of walked around very aloof. And um, uh, you know, with his Vidal Sassoon hair, and um, you know, speaking uh, like he just got off the Shakespearean stage, uh, English accent and all, um, you know, the whole thing. And just kind of very detached, from very emotionless, very detached from everybody around him. And uh, and so, for many years, that was kind of my image of Jesus. That this was, in fact, he kind of came across more of more along the lines of a of what we might imagine a Greek God than, than the God that we worship and that we read about in Scripture. Uh, again, very detached, very aloof, um, unrelatable. Like, you're listening to this guy speak in monotones and English accents, and you're thinking, why did anybody follow this guy? Like, what was, what was the big deal, right? But when you, re- when you get into the Bible and you really start picking apart and seeing who Jesus was, it's a very different picture that Scripture paints, that he was a human, he was one of us. He had a pretty awesome sense of humor. Uh, he also had a pretty awesome sense of righteous anger. He uh, he was you know he was the life of the party. He was the guy everybody wanted to be around. The reason people followed Jesus was because he was just this kind of magnetic personality. I imagine he had that that quality that he could make you know in a large crowd make people feel like. I'm the only one in the room with this guy. You know, the, like, like, just there's something just very magnetic about him. and I'm just drawn to follow him. But he had all these these things, <coughs> temptations and things that happened in his life, weird things going on with his parents early on, that, um, you know, kind of tension between parents and kids. There was one time they were, you know, they had gone to Jerusalem and uh, to worship at the temple. And as they head, as his family, uh, Mary and Joseph, began to head back home, uh, somewhere along the journey back to Nazareth, they realized. Um, I thought you had Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. Where's Jesus? Right? And and go into this all-out panic. Now, who here has ever lost a kid? Anybody? Thank you for that hand. Honest. First service. You guys are definitely cooler. First service was not honest. Left me hanging. Uh, but um, no. But yeah, that feeling of losing a kid. Like you left a kid in the store or whatever. I remember one time when Isaiah was, you know, one or two years old. Uh, we lost him at a mall in Richmond, and I... Uh, <laughs> okay, you guys are wrong for laughing at that. Um, anyways, lost him at a mall in Richmond, and I, I, was, I was there with a buddy, uh, like, filming some video clips, interviewing people at the mall for a thing with our youth group, and Jamie and the kids were there, too. And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm, like, up on a different level from Jamie, and I hear Jamie scream across a crowded mall Jeff, I can't find Isaiah, just flipping out. And I look down, and I have, I mean, sheer panic on her face. I've never seen panic on her face like I saw that day. And so I went into a dead sprint, running through the mall, screaming, Isaiah, 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 you know, just screaming, trying to find Isaiah comes walking out of one of those old Suncoast movie things with DVDs in his hands, toddling like this, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, His early shoplifting exploits, and and uh, and so we found him. Always, you know, that relief, that whole thing. But, but, but get this: this is so much worse than that. Okay, this is not, you know, you were in Walmart and he was hiding underneath one of the clothing racks and you couldn't find him. This is, they have started a journey without their son, like gotten down the road a ways and realized they don't have Jesus now. Keep in mind, too, this is just not a couple that was like, oh, we forgot our kid. This was a couple, each of whom had been visited by an angel to tell them you would be the parents of the Son of God. (laughs) We lost the Son of God! I mean, that's all out panic, right? Losing the, you, you think you've had a bad, lose the son of God. There's no panic like that ever. They make it back to Jerusalem. They find him, you know, this little kid teaching in the temple and all the other rabbis sitting around his feet, just amazed at what he's teaching. And, uh, and this kind of, you know, again, parent, uh, child tension plays out, but, but just, just, but he was this normal guy, just this normal person other than the fact that he was perfect. I mean, that's a pretty big other than the fact, but still, Jesus was a dude. I love that. I love that so much that the Savior that we serve was was a guy like, like us, was a person. It wasn't some you know, odd deity that came down to rule over us and and be so far removed and detached from us. He walked amongst us. He he dealt with the things that we dealt with. He he um he was one of us. God with us, Emmanuel. Right. That's what that means. So we're going to look at this passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter two, that I think does a really good job of. Uh, talking about this, and it's not just uh, Jesus was a guy, a man, go home. There's a reason why this is important, <laughs> um, both from a theological standpoint and also just from a personal standpoint. There's a real, there are reasons why this is such a big deal. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So Hebrews two, starting with verse chap- verse ten, <laughs> Hebrews chapter two, starting with verse ten, says this: For it was fitting that he. For whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, this is talking about God the Father, that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. The writer of Hebrews says it's, it's very fitting that God, the Father, the why everything exists and by whom everything exists. It, it's very fitting that That he, in the process of making us um, glorious like himself, restored back into the image that he created us in like himself, it's fitting that in the process of of him doing that to us, that he should make the founder of our salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. I want to sit on a couple different things here. First of all, this idea that Jesus was made perfect. Through suffering, I think a lot of us have this idea that, that Jesus um, was born perfect. And Scripture actually gives it a little different twist than just simply Jesus was born perfect. Scripture teaches us on multiple occasions that Jesus was made perfect. Like it was a continuing process. Now, I'm not suggesting that there was ever a day in his life that he wasn't perfect. All I'm saying is that God did not declare him perfect until the cross, until his death. He was not declared perfect until then. That there was this kind of cosmic tension going on the whole time Jesus was alive, because guess what? He was a guy. And there was this cosmic tension going on of Basically, though the scripture paints this picture of us that the heavenly hosts were, I hope he makes it. I hope he can bear up under the weight of this humanity that he has brought himself under. We're going to get into this a little bit more later. But Jesus being made perfect through what? Through his suffering. Through his suffering. I love the fact that we serve a suffering Savior. That sounds weird, right? I mean, that sounds weird. But I love it because, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the human life is a lot of suffering. Like a lot. Like more than any of us are comfortable with, right? Um, In fact, it's one of the primary questions That get asked by people who are skeptical about the faith, if there's a God, how could a you know how would a good God allow suffering to happen to good people? How could God allow suffering to happen to good people? And that's a really can be a really difficult question to answer. Let me give you an even, even more difficult question to answer. How could a good God allow suffering to happen to God people? How can a good God allow suffering to happen to God people? That Jesus, perfect from birth, living the same life that any of us have lived, you know, removed from this century, but the same human existence that any of us have ever lived, bared up under the weight of all that humanity, humanity crushing in on him, lived the perfect life and suffered for it suffered not just in the cross i mean we you know most of us have seen movies of where the crucifixion has been depicted or whatever and and you you get that idea of the suffering that he went through or but even beyond that just suffering we're, we're told that um you know sometime sometime early on in jesus life joseph his, his father died I, I haven't lost a parent yet and so i don't know exactly what that's going to feel like i know it'll happen someday some of you have though you know exactly what that feels like you know I've seen it on your face. I've I've walked with you through some of those valleys. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like too. Exactly. We see Jesus uh, when one of his good friends Lazarus dies and Lazarus' sisters in mourning, Jesus shows up and his sisters are like, if you just would have been here, why are you so late? If you just would have been here, you could have saved him. We're told Jesus weeps. I don't think Jesus was weeping for... Lazarus, I, he knew what was getting ready to happen. He's weeping because of the sisters, because he, he sees their broken hearts. And who here among us have ever seen somebody that you love brokenhearted and you, your heart just wrenches over the whole thing? So does Jesus. So does Jesus. We see Jesus on a hillside looking out over the city of Jerusalem, praying for the lost sheep, praying and, and just brokenhearted, weeping over over these lost sheep of his father's kingdom. Knowing that what potential they have, what is available for them if they experience life in God, wanting them to come back to God and just weeping because he's so burdened for them. Who among us has ever felt a burden like that for people that, that you just want them to experience the hope that you have in Christ? Maybe it's your family or a friend or Whoever. Jesus knows that feeling. Our lives are marked by suffering. I mean, it's, 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 it's the, in this human existence where we suffer. And I know it's so much more popular for a preacher to stand up and tell you everything's going to be great. And if you follow Jesus, then nothing bad's going to happen. and You're going to get rich and, and you know, whatever. It's, it's just a lie. It's great. It sounds great. It sounds great. You go to one of those churches, you're going to really enjoy that it's just a lie because we're human and that's not the way humanity pans out. Yeah, there are great days. I mean, there are exceedingly great days and great seasons in our life and things do go well from time to time, but you all know there will be days in our life when life punches a square in the face and we are left reeling from it. Whether it's from a, a loss or a financial hardship or a Mistake, or I mean, any number of different things, life comes at you fast and furious, and it is, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult from time to time. And Jesus knows, he totally gets that. Why? Because, not just because he's God and he knows everything, because he experienced it. He experienced all of that stuff. The last part of that passage for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified. All have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus, the one who sanctifies us, we who are being sanctified, we all come from the same source. That's the next point, is that Jesus and you are cut from the same cloth. Now some of you are like, I don't know, I've seen my cloth. I don't think I'm cut from, Jesus is cut from this one. But Jesus and you, all of us, we come from the same source, we come from God. We come from God. And he who is in the process of sanctifying us, we who are in the process of being sanctified, we all emanate from the same source. Now, that word sanctification, it's a big churchy word. Big churchy word number one of the day is sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. (laughs) Wow, that was kind of creepy, actually. All right, so um, sanctification, it is this idea. let Let me just define it for you real fast. Sanctification is this. It's to set apart and make holy to set apart and make holy. That you, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you begin this lifelong process that the Bible refers to as sanctification and what that means. Now there's this big kind of move in church world, you know, over the last few decades to let's take out all the big churchy words and let's redefine them with, you know, half a dozen single syllable words, you know, that sort of thing. I'm of the opinion that one word is always better than multiple words. So Sanctification is the word. I love it. It's a great word. It's a great word. But sanctification is that process that you enter into when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ where you are then set apart uh, by His love, by His grace, by His righteousness. You are considered set apart and you begin this process of being made holy and that process will continue out for the rest of your life. You'll never reach a day in this life where you're like, boom, this is the day. Sanctified. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. But you are in this process of, as we read several weeks ago, um, where, of being uh, made into Christ's likeness, made into the likeness of God from one degree of glory to the next. It's a, it's a, it's a process, a journey, a lifelong thing that we go through. And he does that whole sanctifying work. Now, the reason that he can do that is so closely tied to the fact that he was human. He is, the fact that he was human, yes, is, is a big part of our faith. Is a big part of our faith. And we're going to get into it in just a... I'm not going to... I'm, I'm going to tease it right now. We're going to get into it in greater detail in just a second. But this God, this sa- Savior, Jesus Christ, who was one of us, who was a human like one of us, who lived a perfect life, because he lived that perfect life, we get to be in this relationship with him where he is making us like into God's image. Next verse. Hebrews two fourteen, <clears throat> Verse 14. <clears throat> Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death we subject to lifelong slavery. For surely, it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. So the other reason it's a big deal that why Jesus can be such a great counselor, I've already hit on it briefly, but it's that because he was a dude. Jesus was a dude because he had to be. He had to be. There's this idea in scripture of God's wrath. Now, this is not a popular idea to talk about in church. Popular idea is God's love. God is love. It fits well on a bumper sticker, on a mug, uh, on a bookmark. God is love is a really easy thing to talk about. And I am not discounting God's love. God is love. Now, when we say God is love, we're not just saying that God, that, that God, he's a loving God. That's not what we're saying. We're saying God is love, that he defines love and is the definition of love. There, every love known to humankind, is, is compared, held up to the standard of God's love. God is love. And so I don't want to discount how much God loves us. And we're going to get into that in just a second too. But there's this concept in Scripture of God's wrath that we don't like. Well, a lot of us tend to think of God's wrath in terms of, well, that's kind of an Old Testament thing. You know, God seemed to seem to be a little, you know, uh, you know, angry in the Old Testament. And, and then come, along comes Jesus, and Jesus really softened God up, and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and uh, that's, not, that's not the way it is. That, that you need to know, first of all, if you don't know this yet, let me tell you, you're a sinner. Um, you sin. You make mistakes. You're, you're, you're pretty worthless. Um, you are, I am too. And because of that, because we live a life that li- it is in natural rebellion to God and his ways and to his holiness, because of that, God has wrath towards us. Ang- not just anger. A- wrath is such a stronger word than anger. I, I love that word wrath. I, mean, I don't love it for what it means for me, but. I, it's just a great word that there is a a God who needs to direct His wrath towards you because of your disobedience, because of because of the sin in your life, on all of our lives. That's a pretty serious deal. That's a pretty serious thing. Because it's not like if you get my wrath, uh, like um, or you know the wrath of your wife or something like that. I mean that's that's pretty serious stuff too but they're not God. Despite popular opinion, not God. Not God, right? And we're talking about the wrath of the Creator. What was that old Bill Cosby line? You know, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out of this world thing? That, I mean, that, that, we're talking about a God who has that capability, right? And He has wrath directed at you. And there's this other big churchy word, uh, big churchy word number two of the day, is this word propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. Propitiation Propitiation is this. It's a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath. That's exactly what that means. Propitiation is a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath. God has wrath directed towards us because of the sin and the rebelliousness of our natures and what's in us and what we have done and everything else that is directed at us. There needs to be a sacrifice to appease that wrath to get rid of that wrath there needs to be a sacrifice and not just any sacrifice this is rebelliousness and sin committed by humanity so it must be a human sacrifice and not just any human sacrifice we're talking about a holy perfect God who has been sinned against so The sacrifice must also be perfect. Which means there's nothing we can do about it. We either have to be, just learn to get comfortable with God's wrath directed at us, or there's got to be another solution. And that other solution is Jesus Christ. Now get this picture that God has wrath towards you because of your sin Demands a perfect sacrifice. You can't be that sacrifice. I can't be that sacrifice. None of us can. Not George Washington, not Martin Luther King, not Gandhi, not anybody. Not anybody. And so God says, and this is where the love comes in. I love them so much. I, want, I don't want there to be the separation between us, so I'll pay it myself. And he sends his son, his perfect son, to live a life of perfection, to be declared perfect in his final suffering, and become that ultimate sacrifice that we need. That's that's why God is love. That's why God's love. Because there's can you imagine anything more loving? It, it's amazing. Propitiation. Now, that word going to come in handy here in just a second. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he had to be made like us in every respect so that he could be that propitiation. It was necessary for him to be human. It couldn't just be this, you know, wafty, holy ghost spirit coming down and living among us and being God and doing divine things. He had to be one of us. He had to be one of us. And him being here, being one of us, experiencing humanity, all the joys, all the suffering, all the successes and failures, everything else that comes with life, But doing it perfectly, he was able to be our sacrifice. Now, there's this phrase here at the end of this passage that I want to sit on for just a little bit because if you miss this, you are missing some serious gold. That last sentence. For because he himself has what? Say it with me. Has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, a lot of times we have, again, if you have that kind of lofty, detached, aloof view of Jesus in your head, um, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss this. Because we have, you know, we know there's a story about how Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted three times by Satan and and that sort of thing. We also know there are scriptures, there's scripture that says that Jesus was tempted in, in all manner, just like we are. All. Now, preachers like to, when they hear the word all in scripture, they always, you know, say all means all. Right, that's that's the Greek Greek word for all is all, right? And all means all. And and I want to apply that principle to this passage too. Jesus was tempted in all manner, just like we are. Now I've said before that I I think, and maybe it's just because I'm self-centered, I I think I'm one of the most tempted guys I know. I I I just I, I come under a lot of temptation. But let me tell you this whether you feel that way or not, it doesn't matter what, you need to know this. There has never been Any man to ever walk the face of this planet tempted the way Jesus was tempted. The hopes of the entire human race to be reconciled with a holy God rested on his shoulder. Do you think it was in Satan's best interest to derail that plan? There has never been anyone on this planet tempted the way Jesus was tempted. Now, there's a word there I don't want you to miss. For because he himself has what? Suffered when tempted. Have you ever thought about the fact that the temptation that Jesus went through day in, day out, every day of his life, just caused suffering in him? Has anybody ever felt suffering in temptation? Anybody? Anybody? Ever felt like the temptations that you're coming under are so, like you can't bear up under the weight of them. Like you are, like there, there have been times in my life where, where a, a particular temptation has, has presented itself that could destroy me, destroy my family, destroy my career, destroy, I mean, whatever, just these, these weighty, weighty temptations. And you feel like the cartoons with the good and the bad guy on your shoulder. And you're just, uh, and I find myself literally weighing things out. Well, what's the worst that could happen? And, you know, the, the whole thing. And, 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 and you feel that suffering. Who here has ever felt that suffering and, and that chronic temptation to the point that you couldn't, you couldn't stand under the weight of it? You finally gave in to that temptation. It just, the temptation was, for you as a follower of Jesus Christ, was just torment. Torment. You know what you need to do. You know the kind of life we're called to live, and yet that temptation is there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's like you can't get out from underneath it. You can't get out from underneath it. And it's horrible. You know that as well as I do. It's horrible. I think, honestly, I think that was most days for Jesus. except he did it. I think he was tempted like none of us have ever even dreamed of being tempted. As the Bible says, in all manners. In all manners. You think Jesus had any reason to be prideful? you kidding me? Thousands of people showing up to hang on every word you say and you do an awesome miracle and everybody praises your name. You march into the, the, you know, the holy city of Jerusalem and people are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You think he had any reason at all to be prideful? Yet he didn't. Tempted in every way. You ever been tempted to drink too much? Jesus was, but he didn't. You ever been tempted to break the law or go against, you know, take some substances you shouldn't take or whatever? Jesus was, but he didn't. You ever been tempted sexually? Tempted to have sex with somebody besides your husband or your wife? Jesus was. They didn't. You ever, talking all manner. All manner. You ever struggled with a homosexual thought? All manner. But he didn't. But he didn't. Nobody's been tempted the way Jesus has been tempted. Now the reason this is such a big deal, first of all, you put up that next point. The next point is this. Jesus can help because he's been there. The reason this is such a big deal is because Jesus can help us right where we are, whatever you're dealing with, because he's been there. He actually knows. He doesn't know just because he's God and God knows everything. He knows because he experienced what you're experiencing. Whatever you think, I mean, there and we tend, again, because we all tend to be somewhat self-centered, we all tend to think that there's been, you know, nobody has gone through the kind of temptation or torment or whatever that I'm going through. It's just too much for me to bear. I don't know if I can do this or whatever. And Jesus has. Jesus has. He's gone through it all and yet stayed perfect. That is not a small point, guys. That is not a small point. Do you know the kind of hope that that gives me? And now again, Jesus, God and man, God and man. I mean, he he's definitely got some advantages that just man doesn't have, right? But even still tempted, bore, under the weight, bore up under the weight of all that pressure and all that temptation, everything else that he experienced. And that gives me hope, not because I think I can be exactly like Jesus in this life. It just gives me hope that in all of his humanity, there was always a way for Jesus to avoid that temptation. It wasn't like Jesus was kind of flippantly like temptation would come at him. He was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm God. Can't tempt me. that not, that's not, wasn't that way. That Jesus, feeling the pressure, the weight of whatever was coming at him, was able to withstand it and stay perfect, it gives me an incredible hope. You know, if I can just get... <laughs> If I could have a quarter of the success that Jesus had when it came to dealing with temptation, if I could have half of it, if I whatever, if if it gives me hope. You know what else it gives me hope? It gives me hope that those temptations that might be kicking my butt right now, they won't always be. I will have victory. I will have victory. Because I have an example in Jesus Christ to follow. I can follow His example. I can lean into Him and lean into the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I can give Him permission daily to continue make me over and continue that sanctification process that's, that's very much alive in me and alive in you. And I want to take steps... Closer and closer to be more and more like the image of God, to have that one degree of glory from, from the next change experience happen in my life. It gives me hope that I don't have to always be who I was or who I am, that there are better things ahead of me. That the sanctification process, now we hear you hear a lot of people, we tend to emphasize the, our brokenness and the fact that you're, you're not going to be fully sanctified uh, you know, any time in this life, which is absolutely true. But let me give you a little hope and let you know that down the road you are going to be closer and more like Christ than you are right now. And we have that hope in Christ because he lived it and he went through it with us and for us and it is beautiful that he did it. It's amazing that he did that. So the next time you feel like I can't take this, I can't do this, it's too the temptation is too hard, the temptation is too hard. You serve a savior who was tempted in all manner in all manner just like you. Lean into him. Do you know how awesome it is when you need to do something hard and there's somebody that has gone ahead of you that has already done that hard thing and you have them as as, as a resource to pick their brain, to, you know, learn from whatever. That, that's, that's awesome. That, that's just gold when that happens. And the same is true in this area of your life. You have a Savior who you have given your life to, Christ followers, who knows. He knows, he knows, he knows. Lean into him and draw from him what you need to get into that place of victory. Draw from him. Now, we aren't going to be perfect in this life. And we will continue to to fail in hundreds of different ways. But we serve a God who loves us, who made a way for us, who sent his son to live in the flesh for us, like us, to set an example for us, to be that propitiation for us, God is with us. God is with us. He is with us. He is us. He is among us. He comes from the same source. He's one of us. Don't don't miss that. That is so good. That is so, so, so good. God is one of us. That's awesome. You guys, um, that Emmanuel word. um, You remember the movie uh, Lion King? where uh, in The Lion King, uh, the hyenas are all gathered around, and they're talking about the the one who was the Lion King, Mufasa. And they're like, one of them says Mufasa, and the other one goes, say it again, Mufasa. Does that thing, right? That's the manual for me. The manual, that is good. God is with us. God is with us. He's one of us. And because of that, not only do we get to live in a right relationship with him, we have a brother in Christ who understands. He gets it. He's been through everything that we're going to go through and more. He gets it. I love that. I love it. Let's pray. Father, you're good. Your word is good to us, it's encouraging to us, and we thank you so much for your son. God, we're often thankful for his sacrifice, and we're often thankful um, for your love and things like that. God, I just want to lift up thanks this morning to Jesus for being perfect, for living a life that wasn't easy, For being tempted the way he was tempted, for experiencing the suffering that he experienced just in his normal everyday life, the fact that he remained perfect and stands it as, as an example to me, God, I thank you for that. I thank you. With nobody looking around, I just want to ask a question. Nobody looking around. Um, I just want to know if I can pray for you. And th- this is the question. If, if, if you're in the room and there's a temptation going on in your life that you are finding difficult to withstand, uh, would you just slip up your hand so I could be praying for you? Anybody? I see hands. I see them. Anybody? All over the room, hands, yeah. Yeah. Father, for those um, that admit that They're feeling some weakness and some temptation that they're, maybe it's temptation that they're giving into. Maybe it's temptation that they're scared they're gonna give into, whatever that is, God, I pray that you would just be with them. God, that your Holy Spirit would empower them, that they would lean into you right now. God, that they would find their hope and their rest in you, that you would be sufficient. God, that you would be sufficient. That they would know that their best option in life is always you. Always. Draw them in close, God. Draw all of us close to you. God, I pray that we would just lean into um, life and submission to your Holy Spirit right now. God, we give ourselves to you. We ask that you just continue that sanctifying process of making us more like you God of thank you for setting us apart the way that you've set us apart thank you for making us holy as you are holy God we, we, we ask you to continue that process in us help us to make whatever changes you need for us to make for those in the room that have admitted that the temptations that they're feeling are are difficult right now God would you um, help them to submit to you but also God, would you help them to make, uh, if need be, hard choices in their life, uh, lifestyle changes that would um, prevent the success of those temptations, God? Would you just speak to them? Speak to them. Thank you for being one of us. Thank you for coming, living that perfect life, dying for us, and being that sacrifice. We, we love you. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.